John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. Let's say that with me. For God so loved the world. I don't believe there would be any injustice at all if you just in your mind remove the word world and insert your name. Let's read it again and everybody say your name out loud and we'll get there. Would you do it? For God so loved Jeff that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't say the world would be saved. The world might be saved. And the reason for that is because he knew and he knows and we know everybody is not going to accept Jesus. But I believe everybody ought to have an opportunity. Amen. And that's why the church exists is to be evangelistic, uh, to get the message out one by one that the world might know who Jesus Christ really is. Well, I want to talk for a few minutes about Christmas views. How do you view Christmas tonight? Uh, it's hard to believe, but just a little over two weeks from now, uh, we'll be celebrating Christmas in a variety of different ways. But as you well know that Christmas is much more than trees and decorations, as beautiful as all that is. It's more than being with family and friends and eating fruit cake and, and, uh, and, and, and fruit baskets and eggnog, as wonderful as all that is. It's more than just giving gifts and exchanging gifts among those that we love. It's more than Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and it's certainly much more than Hallmark Christmas movies that come on in late October and all the way through uh, the 1st of January. Thank God for them. And it's much more even than the things we do in church like cantatas and dramas and plays and children's musicals. And it's much more than even a special time of Holy Communion. All these things I mentioned are good and part of what we do, but that's not the reason for Christmas. It all boils down to one thing. Christmas is all about Jesus. And yet the thing that's so sad for the most part, many Americans uh, will not recognize Jesus during this time as much as they look at Christmas as maybe a few days off from work and a few weeks off from school. But Jesus indeed is the reason for the season. We know that God so loved the world that He gave His Son. And our gift that God gave to the world was the fact that He wrapped Him in human flesh. He wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and they found the baby lying in a manger. And the shepherds knew this is the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the entire world. And yet we understand during that time that the people viewed the Lord Jesus Christ in a variety of ways. How do you view Jesus this year? How do you view Christmas this year? I think that people view Christmas differently, and people view Jesus differently, depending upon the perspective that you have. And tonight I'd like to look at four different perspectives, if you will, about Jesus Christ. The way, four different ways that we can view Christmas, four different ways uh, perhaps that you can look uh, at the Christ of Christmas itself. First of all, let's look at Christmas from the view of God Himself. The Bible said God gave His Son. To whom did He give His Son? To whom did He give His Son? To a lost, dying, rebellious, fallen, evil, reprobate world. God gave His Son. He gave sacrificially that His blood might be a sacrifice for the atonement of this mad, sinful, evil, wicked, fallen world. Think about that. God gave. With that being said, He gave to the, when we were least deserving, uh, but the most demanding and the most needful within our life. He gave without complaining. He gave without compromise. Uh, he gave until it hurt. 
It hurt all the way to the fact that he died the vicarious death upon the cross. He died not until death. He died unto death. And he surrendered to death. And they even buried him in a borrowed tomb during that particular time. He gave all the way. For God so loved the world, God gave. God gave. He gave because he loved. He gave because he cared. He gave because he was concerned. He gave because he saw something in every one of us that were reprobate, sinful, wicked, evil. He saw something and I said, you know what? As bad as they are, they're worth redeeming. Because they're still the apple of mine. Pastor Greg said a moment ago, no matter what his sons ever did, he loved them. Whatever our kids do, we love them. There's something, but God so loved the world. You know, when I first got married, my wife and I had our first child, and she had, we were pregnant with the second. I thought, how do you love a second kid? Anybody ever had that idea? How do you do that? I, I thought, how do you do this? How do you love a second child? I know how much love having the first, but isn't it amazing the capacity that God gives to love? You can love more than one person at a time. You can love more than two or three people at a time. But God loves the world. He gave sacrificially. He gave without compromise. He gave to it hurt. He gave. He gave because he cared. And he gave because he committed to a sinful people that he yet believed in. I thought about this many times. I may be wrong in my thinking. But the Bible said, For God so the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever will believe in him. Whosoever will. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, did God have any guarantee that anybody would want to believe? Did God have any guarantee whatsoever if his son died upon the cross for all the wickedness of the world, did he have any guarantee that anybody would accept him? I don't believe he had that guarantee. Because God does not predestinate people to heaven or hell. God gives everybody a free choice. And we see today that more people are choosing not to embrace Christ and more people are choosing not to accept Christ even today than those that will. In spite of all the preaching and in spite of all the radio and television, in spite of all the ways we have to beam the gospel around the world, there are still more people, in my opinion, that are rejecting Jesus and those are accepting. But yet God said, you know what? I love those people. I love my creation. They're made in my image. They're created in my likeness, and I'm going to die for them. And I believe if I show them my love and show them my grace and show them my mercy, I believe they will follow me. And I thank God I had the good sense, and thank God you had the good sense to do it. What a demonstration of love. What a gift that God gave. What a sacrifice he wrought. And what a belief system that he had in a people that were full of sin and full of rebellion and following the devil. But he believed in me even when I was a sinner. He believed in you when you were a reprobate. How do I know that? Because he sent his son to die for me. When others reject me, he was there. When others said, you'll amount to nothing, he said, I believe you can amount to something if you become to me. So I thank God for that today. What was the belief he had in the fallen people? It cost God something to give. It cost him something of value. It cost him something of great expense. It was not silver and gold. We're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. He didn't bring jewelry. He didn't bring diamonds. He didn't bring out all the beautiful things of the world and the trinkets. What he did, he gave himself. He didn't partially give. He didn't pick up a hunk of gold streets and I'll buy you back. No, he gave of himself. He gave even unto death. He gave his body. He gave his blood. He gave his sweat. He gave his tears. He gave to us without thinking about himself. And the gift proves his love and his commitment to each and every one of us in this world.
That love shows his commitment. He gave and he knew from the beginning of the world he would be slain from the foundation of the world. And yet that did not take the pain nor the sacrifice away from the price that he paid for this world. Jesus again was slain from the foundation of the world. And again, we understand that his gift was announced uh, many times prior to his dying on the cross. Uh, it was announced in, in, in by different prophets and through many signs and through many symbols uh, throughout the Old Testament history. Remember after Satan tempted Adam and Eve and seduced them into sin, God said, And I will put intimacy between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou, sh and thou shalt bruise his heel. Through many symbols and types of the Old Testament, we see there was only a prefigure and the shadow appointed to what Jesus Christ himself would do. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, and also in the tent of meeting, uh, they, would, uh, they, would, they would have sacrifices every day, every week, every year. And on the Day of Atonement, they would offer up a blood sacrifice that covered the sins of the people. And it required a lamb. But we know that God said, I have a lamb. The question of the Old Testament is, where is the lamb? And the gospel said, John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, behold the lamb. And Revelation said, worthy is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Yeah. So we see the lamb typified, symbolized, foreshadowed the blood that Jesus was shed. In the book of Leviticus and other places, uh, we read about the scapegoat. And there they would lay hands upon the goat as if though they were transferring their sins upon that goat. And that goat would run into the forest as if though the goat was carrying their sins away. And the other animal was sacrificed, and the blood was shed. Once again, we see all that prefigures Jesus Christ, the Lord, as he takes away the sins of the people, and his blood washes our sins afar, far away to where they'll never be remembered, where they have been removed, and where they have been forgotten. Thank God. The blood of the Old Testament sacrificial system covered the sin, whereas the blood of Jesus removes them. I know you hear me say it a lot, but I want to say it again. What sins are you talking about? You can go through all the files and they're not there. You can look in all this and they won't be there. They're gone forever. Gone. Never to be brought up before us again. When the blood of Jesus Christ eradicates it, thank God it's eradicated. Praise God. Somebody said, our sins will be thrown in the lake of forgiveness and a no fishing sign has been placed there. <laughs> if our sins come back up before us, it's the devil trying to beat in his head with them or we're trying to condemn ourselves within the process. Notice also, he's forgiven. But in the Old Testament, when Israel left the bondage of Egypt, we know this. They had to take the lamb. And they would sacrifice that lamb on the Passover. And they would take the blood of that lamb and dip it in the, the, the hyssop in that blood and strike across the doorpost and the lentils. And the Bible said, when I, the day thing, when I see the blood, I will pass over. It was during them because of that blood that Israel was delivered from the bondage of Egypt. And Egypt has always been representative of the world or of sin. And they were delivered from it. Yeah. And then we read in the book of Genesis it was uh, when Abraham offered up Isaac for sacrifice upon Mount Moriah. And while upon that mountain, uh, he, he, he went to sacrifice and he picked his son up as he rebuilt the altar and put his son upon that altar. And I don't find Isaac squirming or anything. He put him on the altar. And he said, Dad... Where's the sacrifice? Son, God will provide. With tears in his eyes, Abraham drew back the knife, ready to take his own son. Now that goes against everything that the Lord taught in the Bible. He did not like child sacrifice. It was not that God wanted him to sacrifice his son. It was the fact that God wanted to know what was in Abraham's heart. 
Do you love me more than you love your son? Do you love the gift I've given you more than the giver that gave you the gift? He got ready to stab him, kill him, sacrifice him. And what faith both of these people had. And then they saw a ram in the thicket, and there was the sacrifice. Put away, because you've shown me you love me more than the son that I gave you. With the deliverance of Egypt, thank God, they were delivered from bondage. Through the sacrifice on Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac, they were spared. And thank God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been delivered from sin. We've been delivered from its penalty. We've been delivered from the residuals of it. And thank God, we have been spared from death and destruction, all because of the blood. That's the view of Christmas from God. He gave. Now then we have some major prophecies given to us from God's point of view as well. Uh, For instance, God told King Ahaz in Isaiah 7, Moreover, the Lord spake against Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you what? A sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. A son, a virgin will conceive. Can you imagine what that must have been like the first time that Ahaz heard that? Now wait a minute, a virgin is going to conceive a child? How is this going to be? And many people today, they still stumble over the virgin conception of Jesus Christ. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. I can't explain it. I don't know how the Holy Spirit overshadowed the Virgin Mary and she was with child, but he's God. He can do anything. God let me know that Jesus was in the bosom of the Father, but he left and came into the bosom of Mary. He was God Almighty, but he became divinity housed in a man. A miracle? Absolutely. But it's imperative and it's important that we know that Mary was indeed a virgin in that she had never been sexually with a man. Because if Jesus had been the byproduct of Joseph or someone else, Jesus would have been much as a sinner as you and me. Because the blood would have been tainted. The blood would have been marred and sin would have been in. But sin did not dwell in Jesus. Now many people try to tell you the word virgin means she was a young girl. Well, Mary was a young girl, but the word virgin don't mean young girl there. It means what it says. Well, I don't believe that can happen, preacher. Well, let me ask you. We've talked about this before, but it comes to mind now. People come into this world in one of four ways. Adam came into this world without the assistance of a man or a woman. God formed him and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And then Eve came into this world with the assistance of a man, but not without the assistance of a woman. We've gone from Adam's rib to women's lip. Well, I shouldn't have said that. We've gone from Adam's rib, uh, the woman did, uh, to perform the the woman. And then we see uh, that Jesus Christ came to the world with the assistance of a woman, but without the assistance of a man. And the rest of us came to the world with a mom and a papa. That's how God does things. So if I can believe that Adam was created out of nothing, and I can believe Eve was created out of a rib of Adam... I can believe that Jesus Christ was created by God in the womb of this virgin woman by the name of Mary. Notice also in Isaiah 9, 6, For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. Again, this is from God's point of view. A child is born, a son is given. 
And the government shall rest upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Sound to me like God's bragging on his son just a little bit here to me. Sounds to me like he's saying, you know what? I'm giving the very best gift in heaven to a world that don't deserve it, but a world that needs it. I'm not holding back anything from my point of view. I'm giving my all. I'm giving my best. I'm giving the best that heaven's got. It don't get any better than this, but I love you, and I'm giving him to you. Oh, thank God for that. And then from the lips of Micah, we read, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that which be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and everlasting. These are just a few examples scripturally of prophets and, 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 and of symbolisms and force and shadows of God's point of view of sending his son into this world. God's motivation was love. God's motivation was love. You ever give gifts to somebody because you feel like it's duty? A lot of times people, they, they give gifts at Christmas time that they can't afford because they feel guilty of something they've done. I remember years ago, I went to the place to buy my wife some flowers at a flower shop many years ago. I've done it a few times since, but this was many years ago. And I remember a guy was in there. He was as nervous as a long tail cat in a room full of rocking chairs. And he was nervous. I said, dude, what are you in here for? What kind of a crime have you committed against your wife? And he said, oh, I'm in the doghouse. I've got to get something to get out. Well, his heart wasn't in that. How many times have we bought gifts for people our heart was not in it? It wasn't motivated by love. It was motivated to get our hearts clear, our conscience clear, whatever it may be. But God's motive was pure. The only reason he gave is love. Not greasy grace. Not a cheap love. Not a feeling, but a commitment. When the Bible said he was in the bosom of the Father, that means he was emotionally attached. There was strong feeling to the Father. And yet he was willing to give all of that up and come to this sin-cursed world. He's a gift that keeps on giving. One size fits all guaranteed. He won't wear out. He won't shrink. Uh, the gift will not break. Never need batteries. It don't have to be returned for any reason whatsoever. And the great thing about this is the gift will always be there even when you turn your back on him. He'll still be there for you. The gift is a gift of a lifetime. The gift is a gift that lasts not just for time, but the gift that lasts for all of eternity. And God's motivation was love. No strings attached. The second view is the view of Jesus. What was it like for Jesus to come down? We see what God's point of view from Christmas was and about Jesus coming. What about the view of Christ? He gave up all the beauty, all the glory, all the splendor, all the radiance that heaven had to come to earth. He gave it up in order to be obedient to death, unto death. Paul reminds us of the sacrifice in this regard. He said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death of the cross. Think about that humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a man, a servant. He humbled himself. You ever been on a playground somewhere when you was a kid and the bully came by and you just knew you could take him? 
You've been there, you, I, I can take this guy. But you, you, you know, you may have had a black belt in karate, say, and, but you didn't want to show off. You just humbled yourself, and the guy hit you, and you just turned the other cheek. And the dude didn't know what he got a hold of. Does that make any sense? I just made that up, by the way. Does that make any sense? That's God. He comes to this world, undisputed heavyweight champion of the universe. Not a thing he can't do, not a power he can't overtake, not a problem he can't solve, not a demon he can't defeat, not a dead person he can't raise, not a sick person he can't heal. And here he walks in humility. He gave up the glory and he humbled himself. Friends, we as Americans especially, and we as people, we got a big ego. And our ego said, I can do this and I can do that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. His ego was crucified. Jesus knew the cost of coming to the earth, sacrificed as a lamb, as our Lord and our Savior. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. When he came to this earth, he knew all the pain that it would entail. He knew the preservation. He knew the isolation. He knew the rejection. He knew the accusation. He knew all the persecution that was going to hit him right between the eyes every day of his life, and yet he came. He knew the rejection. He knew the persecution that he'd endure. He knew, but he chose to come anyway. Sometimes I've talked to people about the Lord, and they say, well, if I just knew what the Lord wanted me to do, I'd, I'd obey him. If I, I'd get saved if I just knew where he's going to lead me and what he'd asked me to do, it don't work that way. I've told people, I said, you take a blank sheet of paper and you sign your John Hancock on the bottom. I will do it, and he'll fill in as you go. People don't want that. But Jesus knew everything he'd have to endure, and yet he came anyway. You know, birth can be traumatic both for the mother as well as the child, and yet he was born in childhood, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. We know very little about his childhood. In his teenage years, we see him in the temple. And there he was outsmarting the doctors and the lawyers of that hour. He was intelligent. And Jesus was the only one that knew more than his mom and dad. And he still obeyed them, his mother and his stepfather. He obeyed them. We know that during that time, he grew in stature and in, in favor with God and with man. We don't know what happened from the time he's 13 to the time he's 30. We just assume that he was there in uh, Nazareth working in the carpenter shop along with his stepfather and his brothers uh, that were from Mary and Joseph themselves. We don't know what happened to him. He was preparing himself. But we know at the age of 30, Jesus understood his time upon this earth was limited. Even at 12 years old in the temple when Mary and Joseph found him, if they lost him, we, we, you, you've troubled our hearts. And he goes, I'm about my father's business. He knew he had a mission when he left heaven to come to this earth. It wasn't to be playing around. He was preparing himself for the ultimate sacrifice of the world. And at 30 years of age, John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan River. And here comes Jesus, all oh, the one uh, that's preferred before me. Here he is. I'm not worthy to sit down and latch his, his sandal. I baptize you in water, but he will baptize you in fire. And baptize him in the water. And the Spirit of God came down upon him in the form of a dove. And the Lord said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He gets up on that hour after the baptism of the Spirit. And now he enters into a public ministry. And it was there in that public ministry. I got to thinking about this today. Jesus, the creator of the universe, is now battling things upon this earth that is foreign to him. Not just sin. I got to thinking about insects, mosquitoes, snakes that are poisoned. 
I got to thinking about all the rats and the rodents, all the hatred and all the war, all the bloodshed among people. Can you imagine leaving the utopia of glory and stepping into a world that's gone crazy and we think that we are the sane ones? We must all look insane to Jesus Christ. But yet he walked upon this earth in the midst of all of the jealousy and all the hatred and all of the poverty and all the sickness and disease, all the, 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 the doubt and the death and all the problems, all the trials, all the tests, all, the tri- all this tribulation. He had foreign to him. But he created the world. And he stepped into a world that had been tainted, destroyed, raped, and salvaged by sin and by the blackness of the devil himself. And Jesus said, I choose to do that. In other words, I'm leaving the ivory palace and I'm going to jump down into the pig sty and I'm going to live there amongst the pigs and the smell for three years. Is that gross enough? Can we understand that? He jumped inside that world almost like that to him. And yet everything that came his way, he overcame it. To sin, he forgave it. To the blind, he opened their eyes. To the deaf, they could hear. To the lame, they could walk. To the dumb, they could speak. To the possessed, they were cast demons out. To the dead, he would raise them up to life. To the leper, he would cleanse. To the devil, he'd say, get behind me. To the sea, peace be still. You name it, he overcame it. And yet we know what he came for. That was his public ministry. But then he knew that Passover time was coming. He told his disciples to ready themselves. They partook of communion there. He said, one of you will betray me. Who is it? Me, me, me. No, the one that takes the bread and dips it. That'll be him. And here comes Judas. Out the door he goes, selling his best friend. Can you imagine giving so much, sacrificing so much, and to have one among them to turn against him the way he did? Do you think that didn't bring insult to you? You think that didn't bring pain duplicated upon the man's heart? He had feelings. He hurt. And to give and to give and to give and to give and to turn on him like that, it killed him. It had to inside. He was a man. And yet he was God. But they didn't stop him. He didn't have a feel-sorry pity party. He goes on into a garden, and there he prays, and he prays. The God who created everything is now at a foreign place in his life. How do I know that? Because he uses words like this, my soul is exceedingly heavy, sorrowful to death. What's wrong with the God-man? The smell of the pigsty is getting to him. The smell of the sewer plants getting to him. He wasn't destined for this. He wasn't made for this. But he is becoming all of those things of the world is about to be placed upon him. He said three times, Father, let this cup pass from me. What? The cup of God's wrath. The cup of God's fury. The cup of God's indignation upon a world. He literally drank of that cesspool of filth into his body. For he who knew no sin became sin. Can you imagine the Son of God with all the crime and all of the rape and all the incest and all the drunkenness and all the thievery and all the sins of the world? Name him. Homicide is all on him. And then they take him out and they whip him. And then they crucify him. And he who created the universe between heaven and earth on that cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's that love thing again. There's that humility. All he had to have done is say, 
let me loose. The fire of God. The songwriter said he could have called 10,000 angels that come set him free. But the humility said, I've come to pay the price. I'm here because I love. And he proved it on the cross by saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then, Father, into thy hands I commend thy, my spirit. And with that, it is finished. That's the view of Jesus from Christmas. Why would he do that? Love. Love. I think also respect. I thought about this. I believe respect in some ways. Who did he respect? Don't love sacrificially show respect for the people you give the gift to? When a gift is given in love that blows the mind of the value of it. To me, it's got to be more than just love. There's got to be some respect there. And I'll tell you something else I think he did it for. I thought about that this evening as well. To display the power of a living God over everything. Jesus said, I lay my life down and I will pick it back up again. No man takes my life from me. I believe he, I believe he illustrated power as well. Yet there's another aspect I think we often forget about the coming of the Lord into this world as our sacrificial lamb. Jesus will forever live in a body. And he did not have a body prior to his coming to this earth. And not only will he live in a body throughout eternity, but there will be everlasting wounds, everlasting scars in that body. We will be able to behold the nail print hands. We'll be able to hold, behold the stripes upon the back. We'll be able to behold the nail prints in the head. That's a sacrifice that he gave for the rest of everlasting life. And we often forget about that. Jesus had no body before he was born. But after he rose from the grave, he had the glorified body. What a sacrifice, what love, what a privilege to know him, to love him, and to serve him. He will forever be like the God-man in many respects. Sacrifice for us. Jesus, the creator of the universe, will forever stoop to our level and be known in heaven as a tangible form that we can see, we can touch, we can adore, we can love. For the Bible lets us know that he is seated in heaven. When we get to heaven, we're not going to have three thrones because there are not three gods. Jesus Christ is the visible representation of the invisible God. And all the Godhead is in Christ Jesus the Lord. We shall see him. Praise God. And the Bible said it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when he appears, you've got to have a body to appear. We shall have a glorious body fashioned like his own glorious body. To me, that's the view of Christmas from the point of view of Jesus. What about the view of Christmas from Satan's point of view? Well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because Satan is a defeated foe. Amen. Satan has power, but he don't have all power. Satan has authority, but he don't have all authority. Satan has deceptive ability, but hey, we got a radar system now that can pick up on his deception every day of our life. Jesus Christ stripped Satan of his power, and Jesus Christ stripped Satan of his authority over the life of a born-again believer. Yeah. 
He is still calling the shots in the lives of many people, but he don't have to call the shot in your life and mine. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And when Jesus Christ came down upon this earth in the form of a man, I believe that Satan goes, this is God's will, a little baby going to defeat me. Uh, this is the one that's going to cut off my head. Man, I'm going to make mincemeat out of this boy. But when Jesus Christ began to grow and he entered into public ministry with anointing of God upon him, I believe he looked at Satan and he said this, Satan, I saw you like lightning falling from heaven. Get out of my pathway. Get out of my way. You're not my problem. I've come to redeem a lost world. I've come to show my love to a lost world. I've come to give them power to defeat you, power to overcome you, and the authority you have is no longer over them. You are a defeated foe. Jesus said, and I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and power over all the enemy of your soul, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Praise God. Satan don't like it because your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Satan can't do anything against God. So therefore he tries to go to God's most precious gift, you and me. He tries to destroy you. He tries to feed you. But if we understand whose we are and the authority we have in God, we don't have to worry about the enemy of our soul. You ever seen a guy out directing traffic? Little police guy one day out there. I mean, he wasn't much bigger than Pastor Hilton. Here comes a tractor trailer down the road. He steps out in the middle and goes, and the guy comes to a screeching halt. Now, he could have run over that guy and wouldn't have left a greasy spot in the road. And it wasn't so much that he stopped because the man was little or because the man did. He noticed the authority on the badge because he pulled him over to the side as well. The badge did the speaking. Friend, we got a badge tonight in the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to get the thing out and shake in the face of the devil and say, this is who we are and this is whose we are. And he cut your head off and you are under our feet. Anybody ever kill a chicken? What happens when you kill the chicken? Still running around with a head on, don't he? That's what Satan's doing right now. Scared. And you know what? Sometimes that chicken is more scary without the head than he is with him. I never run too much from a chicken that had a head on it. But boy, I run from a lot of chickens that didn't have a head on still running after me. That's a scary thought. Where are they going? Have you ever killed a snake and it still wiggles until the sun goes down? Sometimes that dead snake is scarier to me. Then one that's alive, well, that's not true. They're all scary to me. I saw a fishing worm out in the pool the other night, and it was dead. Went out the next day, and the thing was gone. I said, was that a fishing worm or was that a snake? I know what happened. Somebody went and got him, I guess. Could have been Jeff O'Donnell for all I know. He likes them. We read the last page of the book, church. We win. And Satan knows it. And finally tonight, we've talked about the view of Christmas, the view of Christ of Christmas from God's point of view, from the Lord's point of view, and from the devil's point of view. Let's look at it now from the Christian's, or the, world, the, world's, the world's viewpoint. God provided the world with a Savior. That's obvious. The Bible said in Luke, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The world needs a Savior. Yeah. Romans 3, or Romans, Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned every one into his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
Paul said in Romans, I, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now for the most part, the world knows that Jesus Christ has come into this world, but they don't know what he's come for. And many that knows he's come for, the, the, the challenge that we have and the opportunity we have is to get people in the world to know that they are in need of a Savior. You can offer people Jesus all day long, but until they know they're lost, they don't need, know they need a Savior. Years ago, I was witnessing to a young guy. I was talking to him about a Savior. He didn't want a Savior. He didn't know he needed one. I had to take him all the way back to the Garden of, Gethsemane, or Garden of Eden to get him lost before I could show him he needed a Savior. And he accepted the Lord. We live in a world today where people give very little credence to the, to the Christ of the Bible. But we need to let them know that Jesus accepting him is bypassing hell and being able to go to heaven. The world has always looked at Jesus in one of three different ways, and I've got to hurry. There were only a few people around the manger when Jesus was born. There were only a few people around the cross when he died. There were only a few people around the tomb when he rose from the grave. There were only a few people in comparison uh, to the world's population that was in the upper room when the Holy Spirit baptism came. And there will be only a few in the world that's ready for him when he comes back in the clouds of glory itself. With that being said this evening, brothers and sisters, God has always been in the remnant business. But the world needs to know. The world by and large acts negatively toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, three crowds around the manger. Those who loved him, those who were kind of rejecting him, and those that were indifferent toward him. The same thing around the cross. There were those who loved Jesus, there were those that rejected Jesus, and there were those who were just kind of indifferent toward him. And that's the way it is in the world today. Therefore, a view of the world concerning Jesus is basically like this. Speaking of, they're just indifferent. And then there are those like you and me, we've embraced him, we've accepted him, we love him, we adore him, we know he is our savior, our deliverer. We know what we have in Jesus and we appreciate it. And then there's others, they just like the Jew, they've rejected him. They've rejected him wholeheartedly. And there are many in this world, they've rejected Jesus. I listened to a guy the other night that's kind of high up in the entertainment business, read an interview about him. I can't serve a God like this God of the Bible. Took the Lord's name in vain, they said. And then God does this and God does that. Let me tell you something, friends. Just because you can't put God under your litmus test, that doesn't mean that God's wrong. Many people reject him openly. So once again, the view of the world in relationship to Jesus is either indifference, rejection, or acceptance. Which camp are you in tonight? To the listening voice on the internet, which camp are you in? Are you rejecting him? Have you accepted him? Or are you just indifferent toward him? Well, you know, when Jesus died, I'm sure there were those who said, you know what? He hadn't done anything for me. He hadn't done anything against me. But in reality, poor old soul, he's dying as a martyr. Que sera, sera, just indifferent. But friend, I'm here to tell you, if you and I will pray and believe and, 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 and witness for the kingdom of God, yeah. we can see many that are indifferent. Amen. Make a difference when they embrace Christ. And finally, the view of a Christian. How do we view Christ of Christmas? The Jesus of Christmas means everlasting life, or it means everlasting death, depending on what camp we're in. Life to those of us who accept him, and death to those that reject him. Paul tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John says, he came to his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. As a believer... As a born-again child of God, my sins are gone. Amen. I have been set free from sin's power. Yes. 
Every day of my life, I've been set free by the power. I have been set free from sin's penalty, and one day I will be set free from sin's very present. Thank God we have peace with God and the peace of God. We've been delivered. We're being sanctified. We have fellowship with the Lord. We have joy unspeakable and full of glory. We have life and that life abundantly and the promises of heaven. Just to mention a few things as we look at the baby in Bethlehem's manger. The song said, and we sang it tonight, Come, let us adore him. God's gift of love has been offered to each and every one of us in this room tonight. Will you accept the greatest gift that was ever wrapped? Will you accept the greatest gift that God could ever give to a world? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he still has the power to save from sin. Would you say?